knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 72nd episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. And as always, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy and or quarantine schedule to listen. In many ways, this is the second full week that the United States has been on lockdown. Now, I know that for a lot of anglers, that means that there are just a few inconveniences on our way to the water. But for most people, uh, life has been turned upside down. And so I don't intend to make light of it or diminish it, but at the same time, I hopefully can provide a bit of a respite. I think that we can certainly get into a bad pattern of focusing on the bad all the time. The negative needs to be realized, and we need to think about it and kind of contemplate what that means and kind of gain some perspective in light of that. But at the same time, we can still talk about fly fishing. We can still talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. We can still talk about the things that we enjoy doing. Because really, when you think about it on a minute-by-minute basis, how often is the coronavirus on the forefront of your mind? Now, there very well may be some people that are listening to this that are in the hospital or have a loved one who is in the hospital or has even passed away because of the coronavirus. And so I don't want to diminish that, but for the great majority of our population, and I would assume that the great majority of those who read castingacross.com and listen to the podcast, it's not a minute-by-minute focusing on the coronavirus pandemic. We're thinking about our families, we're thinking about tying flies, we're thinking about our jobs, we're thinking about the inconveniences caused by the disease, but not the disease itself. I don't think that's rationalizing talking about fly fishing. I think that's a legitimate reason to talk about fly fishing. Speaking of fly fishing, I want to tell you about the hardest fighting trout around. And it starts with a hamburger. And somebody's saying, this is the best hamburger you'll ever eat. Now, I've said that a handful of times to family and friends as we've headed into downtown Portland, Maine. The restaurant that we'd go to is called Nosh. 
And the meal that I put at the top of my meat pyramid is the Apocalypse Now Burger. Go ahead and Google it. Now, I don't honestly think that I've stumbled across the best burger in the world. I'm sure there are secret restaurants of the rich and famous that sell elite meat prepared by top-tier chefs. And more than that, I don't get out a whole heck of a lot. But from my limited experience, this is a good burger. And everyone I've talked to who has had the same sandwich agrees. Now, in my admittedly incomplete frame of reference, the trout of the upper Delaware River system are the hardest fighting trout you'll ever encounter on the East Coast. The rainbows and browns that populate the East Branch, West Branch, and main stem of the Delaware River are famously powerful. Hook into a fish over 14 inches on a 5 or 6 weight, and you're not going to be able to just horse it in. Similarly, if you lack finesse when fishing the fine tippets required to fool rising fish in even fast water, you'll be losing fish and flies. For the past 50 years, the cold, oxygenated water flowing from beneath the dams of each branch has supported a trout fishery of a scope unlike anything else in the mid-Atlantic or Northeast. The ecological and sociological impacts of the impoundments are worth noting, but beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. And I'm talking about spunky fish, not politics or conservation. What makes a fish fight hard? Is it genetics? Environment? A particularly surly disposition? I imagine it's a combination of all three. The fast current, the rich forage sources, and wild strains inevitably factor in. It's probably the same chemical cocktail that makes some fish jumpers. Incidentally, the brown trout in the West Branch jump, and they do it a lot. The upper Delaware system is a place where an East Coast fly fisher can get a sore arm. You have to cast farther because the water is bigger. You also have to cast farther because the fish are spooky. Tailwaters are clear under nearly all circumstances, and fish that live in clear water that face a lot of pressure are wary in all circumstances. So, that means that everyone, with the exception of saltwater anglers, will be exercising their shoulder and related muscles more than normal from long casts. Then you tie into a fish, and those same muscles get torqued in all new ways. But it's a good burn. I know that I don't go fly fishing for trout to catch something that is going to tug on my line super hard. I can fish for smallmouth, carp, and any number of saltwater species for that specific thrill. Hard fighting probably isn't my top five priorities when it comes to pursuing trout, but if the trout in front of me happen to exercise my disc drag, I'm not going to complain. When I head up to the New York-Pennsylvania border, I know that when I tangle with even a moderately sized trout, I'll be in for a fight. I've caught enough fish on this half of the country, from Arkansas to the Carolinas to New England, to confidently assert that the trout of the Delaware are something special. It would be foolhardy to say that they're the hardest fighting trout in the country, or in the world, but exceptionally hard-fighting fish living in dozens of incredibly scenic miles of blue-ribbon fly fishing available within a day's drive of most of the country's population? That's a tasty burger. So, we're going to talk about hamburgers today. Not really, we're not talking about hamburgers, although I would highly recommend you do go to Nosh in Portland if you get a chance and have the Apocalypse Now Burger. It has their special proprietary blend of meats, uh, in the burger patty itself, topped with foie gras and pork belly and macerated cherries and a couple of other tasty things. But uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And then you can get the french fries, which uh, can be dusted with bacon dust. I don't know where bacon dust comes from, but uh, it's good on a french fry. But seriously, the upper Delaware River is a spectacular system, and you should definitely fish it. If you live out west, it might be more of an anomaly. Similarly, if you live in the south, where you have one of the TVA 
tailwater systems in close proximity, it might not be as special. But for this section of the country, the Northeast, and in that I include, as I said earlier, New England and the Mid-Atlantic, you have the majority of the country's population. Think of Boston, down to New York City, down to Washington, D.C., across to Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and within a half of a day's drive, a good half day's drive, you can be on some spectacular trout fishing water. And uh, the, the system is comprised, again, of the West Branch and of the East Branch that then flow into the main stem. The majority of the fly fishing for trout is done on the West Branch and on the East Branch, specifically because the main stem is larger and deeper and has more difficult access. I actually have never fished the main stem. I take that back. I've fished in the main stem, technically speaking, but it was right where the East Branch pours out into the main stem. So I can't speak authoritatively. I'm going off of things I've read, things I've talked to, guides I've spent time with, and I know that there's enormous fish that live in the main stem, and I know that there are great opportunities there, but uh, I don't have experience with it, and most of the opportunities that are talked about in the books and that are presented to you when you go up there and you are with a guide are going to be on the West Branch and on the East Branch. Where is all of this? Well, it's about 150 highway and road miles northwest of New York City. And again, that means it's incredibly close to so many people. And it's almost silly to talk about why you should go fish the Upper Delaware River system when it is so incredibly prominent and famous and productive. But there are so many anglers that are close that don't fish it. And there's some good reasons for that. If you live in New England, there's so many great rivers, both large and small, that you can fish in Massachusetts and Vermont and New Hampshire and Maine and even Connecticut. If you live in Pennsylvania, there is so much water that it is almost impossible to probe the depths of the opportunities that exist just within the Keystone State. And then you move a little bit further out and down into Maryland and Virginia and even, you know, talk about Maine. And you can have people who are diehard trout anglers that are completely satisfied by what they have close to home. And I'm speaking from personal experience when I say an incredible fishery like this can be missed by someone's radar because I hadn't fished it until about 10 years ago. I spent a lot of time fly fishing in all parts of Pennsylvania. I just never made it to that northeast border between Pennsylvania and New York to fish the uh, upward Delaware system. So I'm just as guilty uh, as anybody about not fishing something that I've known about. But once I got there, and once I started fishing there, I realized how amazing it is and how worthwhile it is. It's not the only place I go. I wouldn't even put it at the top of my list for my destinations, but it certainly is in the top 10, probably even the top five of places that I could go fishing uh, within a day's drive of where I live now in New England. So again, if, if it's familiar to you, then you know this, but if not, you Google Maps and go to Hancock, New York. Now, Hancock, New York, like I said, is about 150 miles to the northwest of New York City. And what you see at Hancock, New York, if you zoom in, is two rivers coming together, one from the left of your screen, that's the west branch, one from the right hand of your screen, that's the east branch. And they form at the Pennsylvania and New York border, the main stem of the Delaware River. Now, that that Delaware River is the Delaware River that you think of when you think of Washington crossing the Delaware, because it flows down all the way into 
the appropriately named Delaware Bay, where it empties out into the Atlantic Ocean. So there's a lot of river miles that we're talking about. But specifically, from a trout fishing perspective, we're looking at those upper river systems where these two branches come out of two tailwaters. The west branch comes out of the Cannonville Reservoir, right at a little town called Stylesville, and it flows for a little bit, specifically through Deposit is kind of the, the larger town that is a major access point on the west branch. The east branch comes out of the Pepecton Reservoir and flows through Downsville, and uh, then really it doesn't hit another major town with the exception of the appropriately named Fish's Eddy uh, before it gets to Hancock. Now, these two rivers are very different, and they're different because the geology topography is slightly different. Uh, some people even say the fish are slightly different, but you also have two different dams and two different impoundments that might be doing different things. If you've ever lived in a mountainous area, you know that the weather is different on one side of the mountain and the other side of the mountain. So you might have a lot of rain that is causing one stem to look totally different than the other stem. That creates some great diversity between the two branches. Additionally, when a tailwater releases water, it's not like that entire river, the dozens of river miles, immediately raise two feet. It actually moves kind of slowly. I mean, we're not talking so slowly that when the dam starts releasing a lot of water, you have all day to fish if you're 10 miles downstream, but it isn't going to hit you instantaneously. And so depending on the weather, depending on the release schedules of two different dams, you have a variety of circumstances that you can fish. Now, those Tailwater releases are something that is beyond the scope of the 10 minutes we have remaining in the podcast, and there's a lot of good articles, and I'm sure there's good podcasts out there that talk about the dynamics of rising and lowering water on insect activity and fish feeding activity. But I will say that all of those different factors together combine for a two and really you can say a three-river system where you have different options for fishing on any given day. And I would say that there are very few days where there's not a good opportunity to go catch fish. And, and to take it even a step further, I would say there's not a lot of days within the season, spring and summer and fall, where you can't catch fish the way you want to catch fish, where you can catch them on top or nymphing or fishing a streamer. The most important thing I would probably say when talking about the Delaware River system is to get a guide. It's a lot of water. And as exciting as everything I had just said about the great diversity and the different uh, river scenery, uh, the different geology, the different fish, the dynamics that come into play because you have two rivers and then two different tailwater uh, dynamics, all of those things are exciting once you know the river even a little bit, but if you are new to that, if you're new to the river system, then that can really be daunting. But you get a guide, and again, what's a guide going to do? They're going to put you on fish, first and foremost, but they're also going to talk you through it. And I would say that is a $350, $450 well spent to have a half day or a full day of somebody just talking you through the dynamics and the intricacies and just a surface level primer of what these rivers can do and what they offer to you. Because walking and wading, which is the very first thing I did when I fished the Upper Delaware River system, can be productive. I had a couple of days where I just caught fish after fish, and it was a lot of fun, but then I'd have days where it was just nothing, and it 
felt like I was in the same spot. It felt like I was doing the same thing. It felt like I was reading the water the way I should be reading the water in other large rivers and other large tailwaters, but I just didn't have it dialed in because I was still quite unfamiliar with the river system. So getting a guide is a wonderful idea if you can afford it. If not, then the second best thing is picking up Paul Weimer's book. Paul Weimer is W-E-A-M-E-R. It's called Fly Fishing Guide to the Upper Delaware River because this is going to give you access points and it's going to talk through some of the major features of some of the more productive spots in the river. And Another beneficial thing is you're going to be able to take your smartphone, which the service is spotty, but you can still get the information you need about the water releases and then compare it with the data in that book to say, okay, there's a lot of water coming right now. I can fish this spot safely on foot. There's not a lot of water coming, so now I have opportunities to access these points. This is where I can be. This is where I can park. And that is very, very helpful. Even though there's so much water, there's spots that are more productive than others, especially if you are limited by walking and wading. What else do you need to fly fish on the Upper Delaware River? My most productive days have been with nine foot, five, and six weights. And I have used almost exclusively floating lines, but I have also used polyliters to add a little bit of weight at the end of my line if I am fishing a bigger streamer through faster water. But by and large, I'm fishing in a couple of feet of water, maybe a deeper pool that gets down a, a little bit deeper than that, and I'm able to use that floating line. So we're talking about your normal, conventional, traditional, East Coast, decent size trout river gear. Nothing is special. Nothing is, is, is fancy. If you are a middle to small size Pennsylvania stream guy, your gear is going to work just fine. If you are fishing some of the bigger rivers in New England, your gear is going to work just fine. You can get away with a lighter rod and reel. You can get away with a little bit of a heavier rod and reel, depending on how you like fishing. But I will say that you should be adept at fishing lighter tippets. I'm not saying 8x or even 7x, but being able to present a dry fly on 6x is a good idea in a lot of situations, especially in some of the more pressured pools where fish are going to be rising freely, but there is a great food source that they have access to, and they're used to seeing a lot of poorly presented flies, myself being a person that's probably shown them some poorly presented flies. So having the ability to throw 6x and do so with a little bit of finesse and to be able to manage that is very, very important. I had a day where I frustrated a guide because I kept snapping my 6x. I blame it on the fly rod. I honestly do. I know that I'm ultimately in control. But I wasn't being as delicate with my hook set and fighting that fish as I should. And that is a testament to the power of the fish, but at the same time, the finesse that the presentation requires. Uh, if we could have gone down to a 4x tippet, we would have. It's just that these fish were being so selective. Now, are there going to be circumstances where they're going to rise with reckless abandon to 4x tippet and to, to ugly flies on bad casts? Of course, they're just trout. But they're trout with a little bit of something extra going on. So it's always good to be a little bit overprepared. That being said, you can do fine just drifting a nymph through riffles and catch lots of fish. So the Delaware River System really presents lots of opportunities for you to fish how you want in not just a fly 
and a presentation standpoint, but also, do you want to fish those deep, glassy pools? Do you want to fish fast water? You're going to find it. With the exception of the most extreme rain and tailwater release schedules, you're going to be able to find water that fits how you want to fish. There's places where you have the kind of braided water through uh, islands. You're going to have really deep uh, water up against banks. And it is just amazing, especially if you have the opportunity to float the river to see the diversity. You even get some really cool things on the upper Delaware because people have been there for a long time. The upper Delaware is managed in the way that it is because in part, in a major part, the water that comes out of the two reservoirs that I mentioned is water that goes into giving New York City its water. So you have aqueducts that come from the reservoirs that I mentioned, as well as a number of other reservoirs in upstate New York that goes to New York City. This remarkable demand for cold, clean water is fulfilled by the impoundments that go into making the East Branch and the West Branch of the Delaware. And so there's As I alluded to early on in the podcast, there is a lot of political and environmental concerns that go into that, but they have a vested interest in keeping this water clean and cold because it is the same water that nourishes New York City. In a sense, you can say that uh, the trout are so good because the bagels are so good, or vice versa. I would actually say vice versa. The bagels are so good and the pizza is so good because the trout are so good. There's so much more that could be said. Uh, I would recommend picking up the Weimer book if you have any interest in fishing this area. Uh, Make sure you get the most updated copy, and even then I would cross-reference it with the New York and the Pennsylvania uh, fishery management guides. I would also be sure that you don't park someplace because the book says you can park there because it can just be a on a whim, a landowner changes the way that they want to handle people accessing their property. But so much to be said, this is really just hopefully your first taste or just a pleasant reminder of what fly fishing the upper Delaware River system can be. If you have specific questions, let me know. And if I can't answer those specific questions, I'd be happy to point you towards some people that uh, could. I know some great guides, some great accommodations up there that uh, I'd be happy to share, but uh, that's just not the kind of thing I throw out on the podcast. So uh, definitely reach out, Matthew at castingacross.com. I'm happy to share more. Again, I've scratched the surface on what I know, but what I know just scratches the surface on what is available to you regarding fly fishing the upper Delaware River system. This week on the website, two articles that I uh, really like. The first one is called, You Care More Than Conservation. Within fly fishing, people get a really bad rap. It is very easy to pick on people because to be honest, we do a lot of dumb stuff, both from a fly fishing industry standpoint, from a social media standpoint, from our adverse effects on the environment. But what the coronavirus pandemic has done is brought things back into focus. It's not that people have stopped caring about Pebble Mine or striped bass on the East Coast or any other important environmental and fishery-related issue. It's just that we've remembered that people are what matter most. And I've written about that in You Care More Than Conservation. And then I wrote, fly fishers, watch Bill dance. Seriously. I love watching bass fishing shows. And there's a great entertainment value to them. But for a young man who didn't have a dad or a grandpa that was super into fishing, this is where I learned about fish behavior. 
This is where I learned about ecology. This is where I learned about why fish do certain things. Now, these were often large mouth bass on big southern lakes, but there's a lot of points of continuity between those fish and the fish that we pursue in large rivers, in small streams, in little ponds, on the coast, wherever. And so uh, if you want something new and different, especially if you are quarantined, then uh, check out bass fishing shows. There's so many good things on YouTube. And of course, you cannot, I, I repeat, you cannot discount the entertainment value of Bill Dan's bloopers. They are simply phenomenal. This week's recommendation on the podcast are fly wallets from VitaVoo. VitaVoo I've talked about a lot on the podcast because I just really enjoy the gear that they make. It's handmade in the United States to order, and they make fly wallets. Their fly wallets are utilizing not wool or anything like that. They use the loop panels for Velcro, and it holds flies in spectacularly. In fact, if you use barbed flies, this is going to really, I mean, you're going to have to pull them out of there really hard. So another reason to not use barbed flies. But there's three sizes. There is a 8-inch, a 10-inch, and a 12-inch. And the 8-inch is an awesome streamer wallet for your smaller trout patterns. And the 12-inch is something you can put your big musky patterns in. But of course, you can mix and match. You can use that 12-inch and carry every streamer and every popper that you ever thought you could. And you can use that 8-inch and you can maybe carry a, a day's worth of flies in there if you really don't mind, you know, hackles being smashed. Because especially if it's a, a subsurface pattern, then that hackle is going to come alive as soon as it gets wet anyway. So again, fly wallets, I don't use them for dry flies, but I do use them for poppers, nymphs, for streamers, whether they be saltwater, freshwater, warm water, or trout. And uh, I, I like them because they're not rigid. I can slide them in my waiter pocket. Um, the pair of waiters that I have has an external pocket and an internal pocket. And then I can access my jacket pockets, even in my waiters. So I can throw one of those in there. And either if I'm needing to supplement what's in my sling pack or if that's all I want to carry, then a fly wallet's nice because it's not going to have this rigid piece of plastic up against my body. Uh, they also protect your flies in that the hook, really from the tip all the way to the eye and all the materials have air circulating around them. And even if they are closed, there's still air getting in. So if you're fishing saltwater, these are awesome because you're able to just spray the whole thing down and let it dry in the sun or on the dash of your car. If you're fishing freshwater, they'll be completely okay just the way they are. So they retail between $29.95 and $39.95. Again, handmade in the United States. They're bulletproof. They're going to last you forever. If you've not fished fly wallets before, check them out. If you fished a fly wallet 50 years ago and you didn't like the fact that it had a bunch of chunky bits of sheep wool inside, this is the 21st century version of an older concept and it performs exceptionally well. I'll put a link to the VitaVoo fly wallet in the show notes on this podcast on its page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.